Welcome to the Grace Point Church Podcast. Here at Grace Point Church, we believe in meeting people where they are and leading them to where God wants them to be. Join us now as we listen to this week's message. Some of these I love, like this one. God, can you please get me a new iPhone? I asked Santa, but I think he forgot. Here's another one. Dear God, give me coffee to change the things I can change and wine to accept the things I cannot. Dear Lord, as your humble servant, let me prove to you that winning the lottery won't change me. Amen. And then this is my favorite. God, this year I want a fat bank account and a thin body. Please don't mix it up like you did last year. Now, we laugh at those because I find them very funny, but if you are a person who prays, I can almost guarantee you that at some time in your life, you prayed a variation of one of these prayers. I know that I have prayed a variation of every single one of those. I may not have used those words. I may not have been as direct and honest about it, but these are sometimes the way that we pray. This is a four-week series, and my goal for this series is this, is you are going to leave here wanting to pray. Now, for some of you who have never prayed before, maybe you're here today and someone dragged you here because you're not a Christian and you don't know anything about this prayer stuff, you don't pray, that's going to be a huge step for you to pray. But listen, I will tell you this, I was a Christian for 32 years And I assumed for 32 years that I knew how to pray, and it wasn't until I was 32 years old that I understood what prayer was and what it meant and actually started praying on a regular basis. I mean, actually praying. So we're going to get started today, and and this series on prayer, we're going to talk about different things. We're going to talk about what prayer is, what, what are the different types of prayer. We're going to talk about what we do when we have unanswered prayer. You pray and nothing happens. So what do you do? What, how, how do we deal with that? We're going to talk at the end about practical steps to take to start this whole discipline of prayer. But today we're going to talk about something that is so important. In fact, it is the underpinning of everything about being a Christian and especially about prayer. Because if we don't get this, if we don't get this right from the beginning, we're not going to be really praying. Now, prayer is a universal thing, right? People pray. It's not just Christians who pray. Every religion has some form of prayer. There are people who pray to their gods. They pray to to people who have died already. Uh, Some people pray into the universe. There's all different kinds of prayers. Non-Christians pray. Non-religious people pray. The thing is, You don't have to believe everything to experience something. Now, I want you to hold on to that because some of us grew up believing that until we believed everything, that we couldn't experience something with God. That until we could accept everything that was written in the Bible, until we said, yes, I believe everything in here, that God wouldn't hear from us. And I want you to take that idea and I want you to put it away for a second. Because there are many, many people in Scripture 
who talked to God, who heard from God, and did not believe everything that was in there. God is a God that will hear you even when you doubt him. So I want you to keep that in mind because some of you have doubts about God. Some of you grew up not believing in God. Some of you grew up and you, you, your parents sat you down on the edge of your bed and they told you the words to pray and you prayed them and you prayed for something and it never came. And for the rest of your life, you grew up thinking, I can pray, but I'm not really sure that God is listening. I'm not really sure that God heard my prayer. Some of you grew up thinking, I know God heard it, but I don't deserve for him to listen to my prayers. And that's what I want to get rid of today. That's what I want to get rid of today. Because you don't have to be baptized to pray. You don't have to be a Christian to pray. You can have doubts in your mind, and you can still pray. But in order for you to do that, in order for me to have done that, there's a mental shift that has to take place. And sometimes mental shifts are hard because we're used to doing things in a certain way. And because we've done them over and over again, and that's the way our parents taught us, and that's the way our grandparents taught them, that we don't question it anymore. There's this really great story, and I love this one, but there's this young man, and he and his beautiful fiance they got married... They're just newlyweds, and they're, they're, she's fixing dinner one night, and he comes home with this beautiful striped bass. Beautiful. And so he's, he gives it to his wife. The wife sees, oh, that's wonderful. She takes that striped bass. She gets a big cleaver. She chops off the head, chops off the tail, throws it away, and cooks the center of the, of, of the bass. And it, her, husband's, uh, her husband's looking at her like, why do you do that? And he says, well, that's how my mother did it. It's how we've always done it. So a couple of months later, it's the holidays, and they're over at the, the, the mother-in-law's house. And the father brings home a beautiful striped bass. So the father hands it to the mother, and the, the, the new son-in-law, he's watching as the mother takes the striped bass, puts it down on the, on the counter, lops off the head, lops off the tail, and then takes that fish and puts it on the pan and starts to cook it. So the son says, the son-in-law says, you know, Mom, why do you do it that way? Why do you cut off the head and cut off the tail? And she said, I don't know. That's how my mother taught me. That's how we've always done it. So finally, one day, they have an opportunity to all gather together at Grandma's house. And Grandma's there, and, and, and of course, they bring her a striped bass. So Grandma takes this striped bass and she, she says, oh, this is so beautiful. She gets her big cleaver. She chops off the head, chops off the tail, throws it away. And the son-in-law can't take it anymore. So he goes up to her and he says, Grandma, why do you keep lopping off? Why do you lop off the head and lop off the tail before you cook it? And she says, well, and she pulls out her cast iron pan. Her cast iron pan is only this big. And she says, that's the only way it'll fit in the pan. But, but they have been doing this for generations and generations and generations because that's just the way that they were told that it had to be done. There are some of us here today, and I am one of them, who grew up being taught how we were supposed to pray, but we were never taught how we were supposed to pray. Right? We saw, we heard, people told us, 
But no one ever sat us down and said, this is how prayer works. This is why prayer works. We have just watched and we've listened and we've God is graded, God is gooded so many of our meals over the years that we don't even know that our words actually mean something. They, 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 they actually mean something. All right, I just broke this. So the question that we, we're going to talk about today, that we're going to answer today, I got it, I'm good. The question that we're going to answer today is this. Who do you see God as when you pray? When you pray and you imagine or you picture in your mind or you think about who God is to you, who do you see? What do you see? Because who you perceive God to be is going to be the basis of your relationship with him. And all of us make assumptions about every personal interaction that we have based on what we think is the basis of our relationship, right? For example, if you are downtown San Francisco, you're at the Powell Street Station, people are coming out of the BART, and, and you're there, a stranger who you have no relationship with at all can come up to you and ask you for directions, right? They can say, hey, I, do, you know how, do you know where the F train is? Or do you know where do I go to, to, to take the cable cars? We're okay with that. There is a basis in a society where we all agree that it's okay for you to ask a stranger for directions because, hey, we've all been there, right? We've all been to a city where we've, we're new and, and, and we know what it's like to not know where to go. And so there's just a general understanding that's the basis of our relationship. But if a total stranger came up to you and said, hey, can I have $50? Right? That we don't go, oh, sure. It's just, no, we don't, want, we don't pull that out, right? We, we step back. In fact, for some of us, that's why whenever we're driving and there's a guy at the corner and he's got a sign and it says he wants a dollar, that, that we kind of cringe from that, right? We, we park way back a little bit. And then, and then when the light turns green, we wait so we can go real fast, right? We, we stay away from it because we don't have a basis of relationship for that. So if a total stranger comes up and says, hey, can I have $50? We, we, we don't understand that. And yet if my son comes up to me and says, hey, can I have $50? He has complete right to ask me that question. I also have a complete right not to give him $50, <laughs> Right? But he has a complete right to ask me that question because we have a basis for our relationship. And essentially, all relationships are classified in one of two categories. They are either a business relationship or a family relationship. And I'm not talking about business as in work and family as in people you're related to. I'm talking about a classification. There are business relationships in your life and there are family relationships in your life. And here's the difference. In a business relationship, it's about what I have for you. In a family relationship, it is who I am to you. Right? In a business relationship, it's about performance. In a family relationship, it's about commitment. So there is a separation between the two. And where we see this, and the, the best place for us to see this is, is when you live with somebody. Have you ever lived with somebody at somebody else's house? See, when you live with somebody, there are only two ways. I mean, there's ways in between, yes. But basically, there are two ways for you to live with someone. The first way is if you live with someone as a tenant, right? 
And if you're a tenant, you can have a good relationship with your landlord. You pay the rent on time, you don't make a lot of noise, you follow all of the rules, and you can have a good relationship with your landlord. And in that business relationship, the landlord also has rules. The landlord has to follow, right? The landlord agrees to maintain the property. He agrees to pay the mortgage so the sheriff isn't coming in and evicting everybody. So the landlord has rules too. In that relationship, there's an exchange. I'm giving you something. You're giving me something. But you can also live with your parents, right? If you live with your parents, you're not a tenant. You're a child. In a business relationship, it's conditional. It's based on what you have. It's, it's based on what you do. But a family relationship is unconditional. It's not based on what you have. It's based on who you are. So if you are a tenant, if you are in a relationship with somebody that is a business relationship, then the relationship is defined like this. If you perform, you'll be accepted. But in a family relationship, it's different. In a family relationship, you are accepted, so you should perform. Do you see the difference? See, there are two, these are two completely different paradigms, and these are two completely different ways that we can approach God, that we can approach Him. And what we're going to say, see today is that, and what Jesus is going to tell us is that you can tell how you view God. You can tell whether or not you see God as your landlord or if you see him as your father by how you pray. Now, throughout this series, we're going to be looking at what is probably the most well-known prayer in Scripture, and it's called the Lord's Prayer. But I want to read to you the verses that come right before it. This is in Matthew chapter 6, and we're going to start in verse 6. You can follow along on your phones, or if you want, we're going to have them on the screen here. But it, it says this, and this is Jesus talking, and he's talking to his, his disciples, his friends. And this is in response to his disciples saying, hey, you know, we've been praying our entire lives. We don't think we're doing it right, so can you teach us how to pray? And this is what Jesus says. He says, but when you pray, go away by yourself. Shut the door behind you and pray to your Father in private. Father in private. Now, in the entire history of the world, until Jesus came, no one ever referred to God as Father. And here, Jesus is introducing them into to this concept. He says, pray to your Father in private. Then your Father, who sees everything, will reward you. And when you pray, don't babble on and on as the Gentiles do. They think their prayers are answered merely by repeating their words again and again. Don't be like them. For your Father knows exactly what you need, even before you ask Him. And then He says, pray like this, our Father in heaven. That's how you start it off. You start off talking to your Father. Now see, there are two types of prayers, not prayers, there are two types of prayers. There are two types of people who pray. That's what Jesus is saying here. Jesus is saying there's two types of them. There are the Gentiles. Some translations of scripture use the word pagans or heathens. There are those guys who pray, and then there are the people who pray 
like Christians. There's two different types of prayers is what he's saying. And so he says this. He says, we're going to go back to verse 7, and he says, So when you pray, don't babble on and on as the Gentiles do. Now, Gentiles is simply a word that they were using at that time to mean people who weren't Jewish. Specifically here, he's talking about people who did not believe in their God. That's why in other translations, they translate that word as pagans. Although us, when we hear that today, when we think of pagans, we, you know, we, we think of guys like with, with horse head masks on their head and horns. And, and we, we got a completely different view of pagans. But what we understand about pagans is, is that pagans don't believe in God. They have a different belief system. So Jesus is saying this, listen, this is the first kind of people who pray. When you pray, don't babble on and on as the Gentiles do. And he says, they think their prayers are answered merely by repeating their words again and again. Now, the word babble in Greek is a word that means cold and empty. He's talking about cold and empty talk, mechanical talk. Talk that you're just saying, but there's no feeling, there's no emotion, there's no meaning behind it. And then that phrase, repeating their words, is a phrase when it's translated from the Greek, it means anxious. Cold? See, he's telling us now about how the people who are, who are not Christians pray. This is how they pray. Their prayers are cold, and their prayers are anxious. So here's how you know how you view God when you pray. It's when your prayer isn't answered. So if you've prayed and your prayer isn't answered and you have one of these two responses to prayer, you're either cold or you're anxious. When you pray for something and it doesn't come through, you're either cold See, if you view God as the landlord and if you see yourself as the tenant, you are cold because you're thinking to yourself, I have been paying the rent. I deserve to have my prayers answered. And if you are anxious, then you still see God as the landlord because you're saying to yourself, you know what? I haven't been paying the rent. I haven't been living the life I'm supposed to be living. Of course God isn't going to answer my prayers. If we look at God as the landlord, then either we're arrogant because we think that we have been doing everything we're supposed to be doing and we're upset at God because he's not doing what he's supposed to be doing. Or we're guilty because we know what we're supposed to be doing and we know that we haven't been living up to it. And because we haven't been living up to it, we don't have any expectation that God is going to do anything for us. So prayer really becomes worthless. It's like borrowing the keys of the car and when you're 12, 13 years old, and well, at 12, 13, you're not really borrowing the keys, right? You grab the keys of the car, start the engine, ram it into the side of the house, and then say, well, gotta ask dad if I can go to Great America tomorrow. You're thinking, oh, there's no, there's no chance, there's no way. Because you see God as a landlord. And so you end up feeling angry, or you end up feeling guilty. In either case, you're viewing God as a landlord and not as a father. You see yourself as a tenant and not as a child. And at the very basic level, 
your relationship with God is based on your performance and not His. Our relationship with God is not based on our performance. It is based on His. And when we think that we can do something to change that, it makes us want to work harder and we end up farther away. And this is not just for irreligious people, but it's also for religious people. You see, religious people have the same problem. Religious people look at God the same way. They look at Him like a landlord. They say, I am, I am going to perform. I'm going to do everything that I'm supposed to do. I'm going to follow all the commandments. I'm going to come to church every week. I'm going to, I'm going to give every week. I'm going to serve in the church. I'm going to do everything that I'm supposed to do. But God, you owe me now. And there's an expectation that God is going to do something. So religious people, they try to work their way into it. They pray over and over again. The same words. The same prayers. They pray and do their part. And then they say, God, now you do yours. And we get angry when God doesn't come up with it because I've paid the rent. And Jesus says, hold on a second, hold on a second. You guys are getting this all wrong. See, you keep thinking that what you're doing is paying the rent because you keep thinking that God is your landlord. That's why he says, listen, you've got to start your prayers like this. You've got to start every communication, every thought with God. You've got to start it like this because you need to be reminded that he is your father. And if you don't get that, if you still see God as a landlord, you may not use those words. But if you still see God as someone that you have to perform for in order to get something from, you'll never ever experience the joy of having a conversation with your father. Because he's not your landlord. He's your father. And until we understand that, it's going to be hard for us to pray. It's going to be hard for us to ever have that consistency of wanting to talk with God. And it's not about eloquence. It's not about using fancy words. It's, it's not about that. It's simply about understanding who you are to God. Who does God see when he sees you? Because all too often we grow up or we have been taught by culture, or we've been taught by religion, we have been taught by television that God is up in the sky looking down at every step that you make, just waiting for you to make a mistake so that he can zap you and punish you. And Jesus is trying to paint a different picture of who God is. He's trying to paint a picture that God is not like that, that God is supposed to be seen by us as a father. We can see this when we pray. If you were a person who grew up praying, think about how many times that you've prayed where you've prayed just to get it over with. I, I have a prayer, and there are phrases that I use, and I will tell you I do the same thing when I sit down in front of, in front of a meal and, and you know, I think that, hey, that's pretty cool. I pray for in front of my meal every single time, but I use the same words. How would anybody who has a relationship with you feel if every single time you talk to them, you just whipped out that same phrase every single time? 
That's not really communication, is it? It's mechanical. It's, it's anxious. It's, it, it does not have meaning. Tim Keller, who is a pastor in, in New York City, he's written many books, but he, he talked about it like this. This is what he said. He said, Jesus does not start the Lord's Prayer, our King, though He is. And He doesn't start the Lord's Prayer, our Creator, though He is. In fact, He doesn't even start the Lord's Prayer, our friend. See, even friendship is based to a great degree on your performance. Those are all true, though. God is our friend. God is our king. God is our creator. But he says to start our father because those two little words will control everything else about your relationship with God. And I know some of us have a problem with this whole idea of God as father and family because, you know, you, you, you'll say, yeah, but you don't know my family. Right? My family is just totally dysfunctional. I mean, my family is a mess. And if that's you, listen, that strengthens the, the concept that Jesus is talking about. It strengthens the words that, 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 that Tim Keller wrote here. If you have a dysfunctional family, listen, even in the brokenness and the dysfunction and the, and, and the meaninglessness sometimes of our family relationships, show us that we all crave to have that relationship with somebody. You know how? Listen, a lot of us who are sitting here today, and some of you who are listening to us online, you all have someone in your family, some family member. They, you are experienced with them and their behavior towards you or towards people in your, in your family or people that you know, that because of all of that, what you know about them, your relationship with them, your experience with them, the only reason that you still have anything at all to do with them is because they're family. If they weren't family, you never would speak to them again. But what do we say? Well, I know he's a screw-up, but he's my brother. What can I do? I know, but he's my dad. What can I do? Right? We get that. We get that family relationships stay even if there's no performance because family relationship is not about performance. Family relationship is about commitment. You're committed because you're family. She's still my sister. She's still my mother. What can I do? Because family is different. And that's what Jesus is trying to get across to us. See, he's trying to get across to us the, the idea that the fatherhood of God and this understanding that you and I have been adopted by God. If we never get that, then forever we're going to be trying to pray and trying to figure out, now what do I do in order to deserve my prayer? Come on. You know you've done this. There's something big in your life. And you're, 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 you say, okay, I'm going to pray about it. And you pray. And even while you're praying, you're already starting to think. In fact, sometimes we even put it in words. Oh, God, please heal me from this. If you do, I promise I will go to church every week. Right? Lord, I need to pay the rent. Please let me pay the rent, and I promise I will stop doing this. Right? We start negotiating with God. You know why? Because we still see God as a landlord. We still see God as someone that we have to pay off in order for him to perform. 
And this is the whole thing that Jesus is trying to get us away from. In fact, in, in, in John 1.12, the, the Apostle John writes this. He says, But to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. Now, I want you to get this. Being a child of God is a right. Right? All you got to do is believe and accept. You don't have to earn your way there. You don't have to work your way there. Believe and accept, and you have the right to become a child of God. You have been adopted. And until you understand that, until you get that into, into your mind and into your heart, until you make that a reality in your life, you'll never have a healthy prayer life. But listen, because there are some of you here who are not Christians, and you have a much easier time of getting this. For those of you who've grown up in the church, you've been in church your entire life, it's much harder for us because we grew up being told that God was about performance instead of understanding that God is our Father, that we have been adopted in. See, adoption is not an act, is not the result of an act by the child. Adoption is not the result of an act by the child. It is the result of an act by the father. The child sometimes never even knows what's going on. And when you are adopted, the only thing that changes is your status, right? If you adopt an unruly child, as soon as the paperwork is signed and the, and the judge issues his ruling, that child is yours, right? Does the child automatically stop, be, stop misbehaving? Does the child automatically, he's no longer unruly? Is he going to immediately, as soon as the judge signs the paper, going to change into the child that he would have been if you had raised him? No. You're still going to have to love the child. You're still going to have to discipline the child. You're still going to have to train the child to move that child towards a better life, a better personality, a better being. But the minute that you are adopted, you are a child. And the difference is this. The difference is this. Before you were adopted, if you messed around, if you made mistakes, if, if you upset the father, then you got sent home somewhere else right? But after you're adopted, if you mess up, if you make mistakes, if you do something wrong, you're still part of the family. You're still loved by the Father. And that is what Jesus is trying to get us to understand here, that the minute that you are adopted, the minute that you believe and accept, you have the right to be a child. You've crossed over. You are an adopted child has all of the same rights as a child who was born by those parents. He has the exact same rights as soon as he is adopted. And what God is saying and what Jesus is reminding us is this, is that when God adopted us, when we had the right, when the right came to us from what Jesus did, that when we had that right to become his child, that we are his child. That it started from that moment. 
that every single person in this room can believe and accept. And at that very moment, you become a child of God. Which means you screw up, you can still come and talk to your father. You make a mistake, you can still come and talk to your father. You don't know what to do in your life, you can still come and talk to your father. And if you think to yourself, if while I'm saying this, you're thinking to yourself, that's not how it works. It can't be like that. That is too easy. You have to change your life. You have to, you have to, to earn your way there. Then you're a tenant. You're not a child. Because the child doesn't have to earn his way there. The, the child comes in the minute he's adopted. The beautiful thing about it is, is that when you're adopted, the good parent doesn't leave you where you're at. The good parent doesn't say, well, you're a screw-up, so I'm just going to let you be a screw-up. Right? He moves you along, but you are already a child. And that's why Jesus is bringing this whole thing up, this whole difference between how the pagans, how the Gentiles, how the people who don't believe in God, who aren't Christians, how they pray and how Christians pray. I can't tell you how many times I've laid in bed or sat by the bed or been in my car behind the steering wheel. And the very last resort was prayer. And I tried everything. I tried to beg, borrow, and steal my way to solve that problem. And I said, well, okay. Someone somewhere in my life told me that you got to pray. And I sat there or laid there thinking... I'll say the words, but there is no way in the world that God is ever going to do something for me because of what I've done, because of what I'm doing right now, because of what I plan to do next Thursday. There's no way God's going to listen to me. And, God's, and Jesus' reminder to us is that it is not about you. That you can have doubts about God and he'll still listen to you. Because there are people here who had doubts about God and he listened to them. That you can make mistakes in your life and God will still listen to you because there are people in here who made mistakes in their life and God listened to them. There were people who weren't baptized, didn't belong to a church, and God spoke to them, God listened to them, God answered their prayers. And some... And those are the things that we keep telling ourselves that have to happen. And if that is how we're thinking, it's because we don't get it. We don't get it. See, we don't have an understanding of it. Look at this. Where are we? Here it is. This is, this is John, and, and this is in 1 John, and this is what he says. We talked about that here. He says... Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called children of God. It's kind of fancy words, right? Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called, that you and I should be called children of God. 
Here's the trouble that religious people, that pagan people, that Gentile people, here's the trouble that people who don't see God as their father have with this verse. See, let's say you're, you're at your job, right? For those of you who have a job. You're at your job. You work all week. And at the end of the week, your boss comes and he writes out a check, hands you that check. But when we get that check, we don't go, behold! Right? Why not? Because we, did, we worked for it. There's no magic there. There's no, there's no mysticism there. There's no mystery there. I did my job. And so, of course, I'm going to be getting a check. That's the difference. That's why it is so difficult for non-Christians and for religious people to praise God. It's difficult for non-Christians and for religious people to, to sing and, and just feel the words when we say that the Father's arms are open wide. It's hard for us to accept that. You know why? Because you can go to your landlord and for half an hour you can sit down in front of your landlord and you can make a list of all of the things that you need him to do. And for too many of us, that's how we pray. But we have trouble sitting for 30 minutes next to our landlord and telling him how wonderful he is, how grateful we are for him. Because he's our landlord. We expect it. You see, if, if, if you don't see God as your father, if you don't perceive him to be the perfect heavenly father, then when someone comes up to you and says, hey, are you a Christian? You'll say, yeah, of course I'm a Christian. Because you'll look and think about all of the things that you do, all of the, the money you give, all of the time that you've spent at church and at community service things and all of these stuff, all, of the, all the hours you've spent praying, and you think, am I a Christian? And you'll say, yeah, of course I am. I do everything that you're supposed to do as a Christian. But a Christian, when you say, are you a Christian? The Christian's response is this. Whoa. Yeah. And I don't know why. Because I didn't deserve it. I didn't do anything to deserve it. And yet, I am a Christian. Not because of anything that I did. But because of what God did. See, it is not by your act, it is by his act. It is not by your goodness, it is by his goodness. It is not because you are worthy, it is because he is worthy. And so whether you have been a Christian your entire life, or whether you've been sitting here this entire time wondering what this whole thing means, being a child of God is available to you. You can be adopted in. You can be a child. So that when you talk to God, He will respond to you as Father. Because when you talk to God as His child, not as His tenant, not as His employee, not as His boarder, 
But when you talk to God as his child, God will respond to you as your father. Now, listen, the reality is this. You can talk to God as a, as a child. You can talk to him as a tenant. You can talk to him as a boarder. You can talk to him as a business associate. However you talk to him, he's still going to respond to you as a father. It's not going to change how God responds to you, but it's going to change how you respond to God, how you see God, how you act, the way that you go to God, the peace that you have when it seems like you're talking and nothing is happening. All of that is going to change if you change the way that you're thinking and see God as your heavenly and until we get there, until we do that, until we find that foundation, everything else that we could learn or talk about about prayer is just going to be mechanical. It's just going to be business because we're still going to think that we're going to do our part and God is going to do his. And Jesus is reminding us that there is nothing for you to do. You've been adopted in. You are a child of God and he loves you. Thank you for joining us for this week's message. Grace Point Church is located in South San Francisco, California. For more information, look us up online at www.wearegracepoint.com.